Hello everyone, welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour. The first round of matches is complete and the one thing I don't think any of us expected to be talking about at the start of this podcast was the Netherlands. They've defeated the hosts in a game which Brian Campion described as the most Hungarian thing to happen in handball. Brian, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I am a little bit disappointed that we all fell for it again because we, I mean, we've talked for years on this podcast about Hungarian handball and they're unfortunate. And I think everyone likes to root for them as well. I think we like to root for them and I think that's what we fell into it again. I think the occasion got to them again. And, that, and it was a big occasion as well because not only were they hosting it for the first time on the men's side, they also had all these new arenas and the pressure that came with that. And it's been, the buildup has been, it's been so long that, uh, yeah, it just seemed to, to get to them. And, and the team, it was, we should have thought about it beforehand as well. The Netherlands coming into it, really nothing to lose, complete underdog as well. And yeah, what, what a story really. But you gotta, you really gotta feel sorry for, for Hungary because they seem to, they seem to wilt in certain situations. It's incredible because it is, of their own doing, because Hungary seem to be the country that actually faces the most pressure of all, you know, their fan passion to quality of handball ratio is the lowest across all of the world. They they really, you know, the fans expect so much more than what Hungary seem to be able to give. And I, I think that's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy where they're built up to probably a higher standard than they're ready for. And in this case, you actually saw that they wilted under pressure completely. It, it really felt like Matalekai was the only person who could play handball for large periods of that game because he really took the game by the scruff and he was just looking around for someone to do something. And at the very end of the game, after the game, sorry, it was Martin Schkelly doing the interview and he said the pressure got to us. He said that we weren't ready for it. The occasion wow. overwhelmed us, which I think speaks volumes to maybe their preparation into the game. I think they did, you know, speak about the pressure that they had going into this game and built it up themselves. And it just kind of spiraled into that game. And even though they had multiple opportunities to actually bring it back, they just didn't. They kept wilting. Well, it's early days. We're not going to write them off just yet because they're probably going to go on to win a bronze medal here. And we'll all sound like idiots at the end of the championship. Uh, they do have a chance to turn things around with Portugal and Iceland still in the group. And we are, though, going to celebrate the Netherlands today and their victory. We're going to speak to... Stein Steinhaus later on from Handball Inside. And for those of you who are listening to us for the first time since our preview podcast, very welcome to the show. We are doing this one pre-recorded, so nothing could possibly go wrong, or if it does, you won't be able to hear it. 
And uh, I think we're all a bit relieved for that, as you said before we went live there, Brian. Yeah, that was a. Uh... It was it was a lot of fun, but I think I aged maybe about eight years in the process. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've done some live things before, but never for three hours. So it was quite it was quite the marathon. And I think and I, afterwards, I was walking around my flat with like jelly legs for about an hour after. I was it really took it out of me. I don't know how you guys felt. <laughs> yeah, but thankfully we have some amazing editing skills uh, in this podcast to take. Well, now, Alex, you say we now, but you have to be very careful. Let's just don't try and get like a lot of praise for that editing. You mean Chris O'Reilly? Yeah. Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's be fair. Chris did a, a very good job at editing those podcasts, especially with some of the technical difficulties we had. And it's layering all those different voices is not a, not an easy thing. So good job, Chris. Thank you very much. And the good news is that I think on the 19th, we're going to do it all again. <laughs> as we build up to the the main round and uh, i don't think it's going to be three hours on that occasion uh, and as, after the experience we had there i don't think uh, it can get any worse so it's all uphill from here anyway thank you for sticking with us if you did watch for the first time on monday or listen to the podcast we have a lot of people joining now because we're on the uh, eurohandball.com website and we also will hear from a number of players on the Polish and Austria teams, Sebastian Frimmel, Nikola Bilic, and Camille Shipshak. But first, as I said at the top of the show, we're celebrating the Dutch here. So let's go into the chat that Alex and I had earlier this evening with Stein Steinhaus. We've got Stein Steinhaus with us, uh, who's going to talk about the big story of the opening day, of all the teams, of all the things we talked about before the championship. I don't think any of us expected to be talking about the Netherlands getting a victory on day one against the hosts. But before we do that, none of you can see this because this is a podcast, but I'm surrounded by darkness with both of the other guys on the line here. Alex, why the hell are you in a car in the middle of the night? Well, cars have very good acoustics, so it is really good for, for a podcast. And otherwise, I've been in a summer house, a, a friend's summer house, watching as much handball as I can. And the the friends have arrived with their parents, so I've been kicked out to do the podcast in, in a car outside. Okay, <laughs> what a way to start the championship. And Stein, what about you? You're in the darkness. Yeah, just seeing uh, Portugal, Iceland, and tomorrow I'm going to help a friend with building a house. So the lights are already off, and uh, after this podcast, I'm going to bed on Friday night. Oh, wow. You're so so adult, uh, Stein. Well, first of all, uh, thanks a lot for joining us. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Stein is from Handball Inside in the Netherlands, undoubtedly the Netherlands' biggest handball website, and also the host of what used to be called Spielmacher, but now is Radio Ha E. What happened there? Well, uh, Bobby Schagen, the, the right wing of the Netherlands, is also uh, uh, doing uh, Spielmacher. But uh, he's now at the European Championships and I want to make podcasts. Uh, so I said, we're going to do a different thing without you. And when you're back after the Euros beating Hungary, uh, it's uh, Spielmacher again. Okay. Well, that's very thoughtful of you. Well, I'm trying to be. <laughs> All right, let's go into what was the huge upset from the first day. And while it was happening, I was actually commentating what was supposed to be the big match of the day, 
France against Croatia, which was pretty damn good. But in terms of a result, nothing compares to this one. I was reading your website today and saw the headline, Netherlands, the Korea of Europe. And uh, I want to ask you more about that later. But first of all, look, this qualification for the Euro showed that the Netherlands had a lot of potential uh, coming into this championship. Really tough group, though. But like within the Dutch squad, and you know the team fairly well, as you were saying, Bobby's uh, hosting the podcast with you. What were they actually expecting coming into this? Well, not this. I was on uh, on the press meeting on Monday. It was back in the Netherlands, and uh, all the players were saying that it is possible to beat Hungary. And we, all the journalists, were thinking, "Well, that's a big thing." And um, but they grow like um, that they are um, thinking that it's possible to beat Hungary. All the players are saying, "We can beat Hungary. We can beat Hungary." And so that in their minds, it worked. Uh, Kai Smith said uh, on the Dutch television, uh, 20,000 uh, Hungarian fans uh, were not believing in the miracle of, uh, of Holland, but 16 players on the pitch did. And that's the most important thing. So it's really big, really, really good. And also important for handball in the Netherlands because uh, um, the, the girls team is uh, a world champion in 2019 and made uh, the sport big. But now also Luke Steins and uh, his teammates uh, are doing the good things for uh, the sport in the Netherlands. So do you think it was actually an advantage to go as just this pure under- underdog story where there's no pressure on the Netherlands going into a full arena, 20,000 Hungarian fans? Did that actually help the Dutch team in the end? Yeah, it, it helped, but its most important thing is that they are growing as a team. Uh, their, their debut was on 2020 in uh, Trondheim, and I think if they are go, they played against Norway in Trondheim, uh, they will have uh, lost that match. But they are two years older. They know how to play in uh, more big games against big countries, and uh, now they were ready to beat them. Uh, I also uh, had uh, pronounced. Uh, Steins, but also Kai Schmidt made uh, a transfer to Magdeburg, and that's so important for the Dutch team. They are believing in themselves and uh, more experience after 2020. Yeah, and I remember two years ago, we were very high on the, the Dutch team. We were in Trondheim and spoke to, to Kai and Bobby as well just before the championship. And, and they really they played nice handball. It was, it was impressive what they were producing for their first championship. But at the same time, it was clear that they were this level below what was needed. Uh, and in the build-up to this championship, I, I saw they played in the Golden League tournament as well and, and suffered a couple of heavy defeats uh, before them playing against Sweden a few days ago, where it showed a bit more potential again. But it seemed like you know, they they were lacking something to actually get to that top level. Were they just waiting for the moment to show it? Or did they show you something in particular yesterday that you've never seen in this team before? I think they built up uh, to this match. Uh, Steins and uh, Schmidt didn't play the whole game against Sweden in uh, Allingsos. They played like the first half, but the second half were other, other guys that played. So I think that the coach, Richardson, is from Iceland, um, did build up to this game and they made a plan and um, yeah, the, the the friendlies against the big countries in Norway, Denmark and Sweden were so important um, well, to do the thing they did uh, yesterday in, uh, in Budapest. 
So it's really smart. They they they, they really had a plan and uh, it worked. Um, so that's really cool because it was almost a perfect match, uh, but a perfect match that the guys know they can play and they did. It's really an amazing story and it, the style of handball that uh, Netherlands showed um, what was really, it was beautiful to watch because, of course, uh, okay, one question I'll ask right now is, how is the country who is the tallest nation in the world... <laughs> the shortest handball nation at this championship. How, how does that come around? Let's start with that. I don't know. I think they all are, are playing soccer and uh, the guys who are really cool <laughs> are playing handball. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they showed how cool they were, definitely, with, with that quite amazing kind of breakthrough style that we've seen guys like Luke Steins and uh, Smith particularly show. But there was a lot of other players that really raised the bar um, for this game. Were you expecting that from kind of the broader team outside Luke Steins and Smiths? No, like uh, Danny Bayens was really good. He scored six out of seven. Um, he was playing at uh, Lemgo in the Bundesliga, but didn't play that much uh, in the highest level of uh, Germany. So he goes to Ham Westfalen. That's, that's the second Bundesliga. So he really thought about that. Played there really good, a more important role in that team. And now he was delivering in Budapest uh, against Hungary. So it's really thoughtful of the guys. But but also uh, the line player, his name is Samir Benhanem. He plays in the Bena League. That's the competition of Belgium and the Netherlands. That's um, not uh, uh, Germany or, or Denmark. Um, but he really worked to get on the level of uh, the, Euro, the Euros. Uh, so that, that's really good. And um, I was saying that the, the test, the, the friendlies against Norway, Denmark and, and Sweden were so important to, to raise the bar. Uh, before we go ahead to the, the game on Sunday against Iceland, I want to take you back to, I think it was just over three minutes left to play and Hungary equalized and they were on the charge. And I, wanna, I want you to paint a picture for us here. Like, where were you watching the game? Where were your emotions going? And how much did you think when it was 28-28, oh, bollocks, we actually blew this now? Of course. As a journalist, you don't want to show your emotions. And, and you're, you're, um, in your head, you're already typing the story. I already was typing the story to go online first. And my girlfriend said, you don't have to do that because you're jinxing it. So I, I put away my, my, my laptop. And this was the first time I was shouting and and standing in front of the TV uh, because it was really cool. And after the the twenty eight twenty eight of of Lekash, of course you were you were thinking after fifty five minutes uh, Hungary is going to catch the Netherlands and the Netherlands did play a good match, but no points and uh, it's going to be a difficult uh, story at the at the Euros. But in the last five minutes they were so playing like adults and that was yeah something they didn't show. Um, in in the past, uh, people in the Netherlands say it was it was the perfect game and and the best game of the uh, Netherlands yet because they now have two points and uh, if they are going to lose against Iceland and and Portugal they don't have anything but a, a win against Hungary but uh, yeah Sunday will be really important yeah so l- looking forward to does that change Netherlands perception of what the expectation from the tournament would have been. So let's take away this Hungary game. So before the tournament, 
I would have said that Netherlands were probably going to lose that game against Hungary, but they might have a, a chance against Iceland and Portugal. Does the perception change now where you're kind of thinking, okay, we can really get a result against one of these teams and go through to the main round? Of course, it will be a dis- disappointing if they are going to lose uh, against Iceland and Portugal. Uh, and it's, it's my perspective, but I was asking Luke Steins and also um, uh, Tom Janssen, a big uh, right back, uh, before the, the Euros and asked, uh, what is, what's the goal? And I was thinking... They want to do it really well against Hungary, Iceland, and Portugal. But both said, and and of course, Steins uh, was was really convincing um, that they could win three matches. So um, I think it's just all part of the master plan. And I can say it now, after winning one match and not not a not a loss at all, um, uh, but I think they really believe that they're with a good plan. They can win against Iceland and Portugal and then pick up six points. But yeah, yeah time will help. Having seen Iceland and, and Portugal there tonight, I mean, neither side was had an amazing game. Iceland, I think, managed it very well, particularly in defense. But it, it definitely shows that this group, anything can happen. And, and, you know, they have a win on their account, a, a good three-goal win as well. It could come down to goal difference in the end. Uh, you never know. So they've put themselves in a good situation. But I just want to ask you before we let you go, uh, like the since a couple of years ago, one of the big changes has been Luke Steins going to PSG and Kai Smith's going to uh, Magdeburg. They're the two superstars in the team. The Dutch team has always had a bunch of players who have played at a decent level, like it, a lot of them in the Bundesliga uh, or a few in, in Denmark or, or France. But do you think that has been the key thing, particularly in their perception, knowing that they can hit this level because two guys are playing at the highest level? Yes, definitely. Um, Steins is only thinking about how can we win a game. He he learned that uh, in in Paris, so that's so important that the Dutch players are going to play uh, at at a high level and going to think like this um, but maybe the, there is going to be a surprise in the Netherlands uh, on Twitter Better Surfaz he's the chairman of uh, he was saying um, that it would be really cool if a Dutch team is going to play a Champions League and if there is a businessman who wants to put a lot of money in, in the Netherlands and club handball it's it's well, well possible to play Champions League in the Netherlands but uh, I think it's it's important that the guys who are playing now in the Second Bundesliga are going to make more steps, and uh, well, uh, Budapest is a great uh, arena to show what they what they got. And uh, well, Iceland and Portugal, um, I'm looking forward to it. To it, you guys, absolutely. <laughs> after after yesterday's result, and uh, well, I'm just sad. I'm I'm in Seged. I mean, it's uh, it should be an amazing uh, occasion anyway against Iceland, and potentially that do-or-die game at the end with Portugal, who were like the fairy tale story of two years ago. And uh, the Dutch could steal that from them this time around. But we'll uh, we'll wait and see for that. Uh, until then, Stein, thanks a lot for joining us here uh, late on a Friday night. Uh, have a nice weekend. And maybe you'll have to get yourself over to Budapest if they make the main round. It's a really good plan. The country is really proud of the, the Dutch handball team. So that's a good start. And... Uh, uh, good luck over there in uh, in Hungary and Slovakia, guys. Thanks Thank for you. inviting me. 
Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for joining us. Take care. Handen in de lucht voor dat vijfje. Jonge dame, zeg waar is het vijfje? Ik ben altijd te boren voor een vijfje. Je kan me vinden. Thank you to a very excited start. And what's there to not be excited about this Dutch team? They really are building to be a true underdog story in this championship. And it'll be really interesting to see if they get anything out of their games against Portugal and Iceland to progress to the main round for the first time. But moving on to a couple of other potential underdogs and a game between Austria and Poland that Brian was at. There are two teams that are probably expecting big things, but only one could get through. What did you find out about the two teams in, at that game, Brian? Yeah, um, I've been in Bratislava a few days now, but uh, yesterday I worked from my hotel, so I actually wasn't in the arena. So this was the first handball I saw live since I've been here, and I really actually enjoyed it. It was um, a very a re- surprisingly really good atmosphere and a lot more fans than I expected. There were a lot of Polish and a lot of Germans there for the, f- uh, the Germans there for the first game and a really pretty raucous atmosphere throughout the whole evening. So it really... Uh, quite, it, it brought a lot of tension, especially to the second game. I mean, that second game between Austria and Poland, it was tense the whole way through. Even when Poland had their five goal gap, it was, it, it, the tension never let up and it was, it created, it was just, it was, uh, it was enjoyable from start to finish. Um, but yeah, like you said, Poland and Austria, I think two teams kind of with hopeful futures, I think it would be fair to say. Poland have come out of this kind of the dark ages, as it were. I think their win today was very important for them because remember the last year they didn't win any games. So they kind of ended that spell of uh, that losing Euro streak. And I spoke to Camille Shipshack and he spoke about this group of players being a, a wild group of boys, I think is what he said. And uh, when I hear anyone saying that about a sports team, I'm like, oh, they, they're going to be good. You know, when you have that wild aspect <laughs> to a bunch of a bunch of lads, uh, it's it's a, re- a recipe for I wouldn't say, I'm not sure necessarily success, but definitely entertainment along the way. And I, I'm I'm quite excited about this Polish side, to be honest, because it's a really nice mix. They've some uh, some exciting young lads in there, and then the right amount of experience heads. And Austria definitely caused them a lot of problems today. They. Uh, especially the Austrian attack looks looks very good, but we said it in the preview episodes. Austria's defense was probably the, their biggest problem, and that's where it really fell apart today. There was certain points in the game where Poland really tore them open, and just it it it's like it, all of a sudden they were just to stop defending. So they really lack that kind of heavy rock in the center of defense, maybe to really bruise and dictate the defense because it just seems a little bit lost. At, at certain points but yeah two two very good sides i'd say and uh a lot of potential there i think especially for austria with frimmel rising up as this new star and billet coming back i think and there's do, there's some good young players in there as well i think it's going to be a fairly fairly bright future for for austria and uh definitely exciting times for poland how do you think they compare to germany and belarus who were playing earlier that evening and germany winning that one fairly comfortably in the end but they they didn't have their own way until like basically the start of the second half huh yeah it 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 didn't look good at all for the first 15 20 minutes till klimke looked completely out of his depth 
in goal in the first 20 minutes and he got once he got subbed off uh, Gieselsen called a timeout that's when everything started to change it was actually Wolf who kind of really seemed to kind of secure everything or maybe I don't know brought an air of security to the defence and it just seemed like a different side all of a sudden that's really when it started to turn so yeah definitely not like Germany will come away from that thinking yeah we definitely had our issues there in the first half we need to kind of close the gap maybe between some of the newish players in the squad as well maybe don't seem to be clicking quite well but someone like Kai Hefner as well that's the most goals he's ever scored in a Euro game you could probably tell I was sitting beside Bjorn Patson for that game you can, <laughs> those kind of facts uh, so definitely a lot of positives there but uh, yeah, it's a tough group isn't it really when you look at it because uh, me, me talking about the bright future for Austria but they're gonna have, it's going to be a tough game against against Belarus as well it's it's really it's going to be it's going to be a I won't say bloodbath, but it's going to be a, 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 a scrap the whole way. Well, he did say bloodbath, so uh, that's staying in. <laughs> and uh, tonight has been a vindication for you, Alex Kulesh, and some of your, not tepid takes, not hot takes, but your opinions pre-tournament. Yeah, I, I had high hopes for this Polish team. And I think wild is a fantastic way to describe them. And I think, Chris, you mentioned... Uh, as you're watching the game, that sometimes they're a bit too fast for their own good <laughs> and it becomes a downfall. But um, I-, I think they play this fantastic style. They have a lot of exciting players and I'm I'm happy they've been able to get that win. And on the other side, I also really believed in this Iceland team uh, that's coming through. So they got a, a really comfortable victory over Portugal in the end, um, which is a big win for them. And I think they'll They'll be a team to be reckoned with um, in, in this championship. So pretty exciting on that side. But on the flip side of that, I said that Germany were not looking good coming into the tournament and that they might have some trouble, um, especially against that Belarusian team. They proved me wrong, I think. Um, they did have a lot of trouble with that Belarus team, but in the end, it was... A comfortable victory despite not having any goalkeepers <laughs> present for them <laughs> which uh, didn't help but they still got through it and I see <laughs> the path opening up for Germany I see a path to the semi-final opening up for this German team and you know they're in the half of the draw with um, Sweden, Norway and Spain and we saw that Spain may not be the team that they have been in the past um, at this tournament Norway seemed to not be clicking as you know as they have in the past Germany have a group where they can get maximum points into the main round and squeak out some victories and secure that place in the semi-finals so I am doing a full 180 on my German uh, <laughs> vision of this team um, and predicting that they might might have a good chance to progress. Wait, now, was Wolf not that good in the end? For some reason, I mean, you know, I am working at the game as well. I'm making videos and sending links to all different places. But my impression was that he did kind of seem to, uh, maybe I'm just, I don't know, maybe it was the wrong impression completely. Was he not that good? Uh, no, I mean, he, he he made he made six saves for twenty three percent. So I mean, 
I mean, it was all right. Like <laughs> he didn't win the game. He's no Vincent Gerard, but he, no, no, he, he made uh, one save in the first half and then made five more saves in the second half. So. I suppose that's a respectable performance. Yeah, I suppose it was maybe just a time when he came on and then they started to play better. And I was like, oh, it must have been because of Wolf, you know? But uh, yeah, I like yeah. it's, it, you know, it's the sometimes it's not the number of saves you make, it's the kind of saves and time you make the saves that make the difference. Um, mm. But I, I have to like throw some warnings out here. Big claims being made having seen one match played, which is always <laughs> the big danger we have. And any sports journalist has, you know, they see one match in an event or a league or a competition and they're like, yeah, that's what's going to happen. Uh, we'll check back in on Germany's uh, path to the semifinal in a couple of days time. But I think uh, we can go into the other matches after we hear from the, the players from the Poland versus Austria match. Who did you speak to, Brian? So first I spoke to Nikola Bilic. Um, great to see him back kind of on the regular now and uh, I think he's going to grow into this tournament and then I spoke to Sebastian Frimmel the new star of this team although he said himself he doesn't really feel like a star but you are a star Sebastian and then lastly <laughs> I spoke to uh, Kamil Szybczak from Poland he had some very interesting thoughts on this group of players and this Polish team and what they are so let's have a listen It was uh, it looked like a very physical game out there. Can you talk us through it a little bit? Yeah, it was it was a tough game for us. Um, we played good in offense. We scored 31 goals, but we got got 36. That's just too much. Um, we have to do a better job there and help our goalkeepers much more. We didn't do that today, and uh, I think that's the key why we lost today. I think when you're playing early in the tournament like this, I think you're probably going to be looking for positives after out of this game because you have two more games coming up. What do you think are going to be the positives tomorrow morning when you wake up? Yeah, that we still have uh, have an opportunity to go forward. Of course, we have two um, very difficult opponents, but still um, um, there is there is a chance, and uh, we have to try to do everything um, to take this chance, and uh, that's that's what's positive um, tomorrow. Talk us through that red card situation. It looked, uh, looked quite dangerous at one point. What, what, was, what, what was your... Uh, what, what happened exactly? Uh, I, I, actually, I, I didn't even saw him coming. Um, I was running and I thought, okay, now I'm through. Just uh, try to, to make make my shot. And in the movement, I just felt that some somebody is uh, jumping uh, behind me. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, luckily, nothing happened. That's the most important um, but uh, yeah, that's that's how I saw it from my point of view. Um, I just didn't understand uh, why he came and where he was coming from. So that's that's all I can say about it. How are you personally feeling out there? Of course, you're back quite a while now, but coming back playing really regularly now. How is your body feeling? Uh, it's okay. Everything is good. Um, I'm I'm prepared. I'm ready. I need these games uh, again after a long time after my injury. So um, I'm happy that I can I can be here in such a big tournament and enjoy every moment with the team. Perfect. Thanks very much. Thank you. Was not an easy night at all, was it? No. uh, Very very hard game for us. Um, We couldn't. We couldn't kept our defense together. We were uh, very open. We couldn't close the the. The space, um, the fast back players from them were were uh, 
too strong for us today, I think. And um, yeah, in attack, I think it was okay. We we scored a lot of goals, but uh, yeah, like I said, the defense was was not enough today um, to play against Poland. Want to win? You need you need a very hard and, and very close, good defense to win. And from 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 for me, it looked like even though the attack was working well, it was still a very physical defense that Poland were putting, were giving you. Huh? Yes, the defense from from Poland were was uh, really physical, very very hard. But um, yeah, like you said, we we, we we could find our our space to score. We we scored a lot of goals, so I think uh, in the attack there was not so big problem. Also, they surprised us a little bit with, with this uh, five plus one defense against Nikola Bilic um, in the beginning. But yeah, we could score. It was not so bad in in attack. So I think it was uh, our huge huge problem today was the defense. Of course, you've been on quite a journey now the last year or so, going from obviously a very imp- always a very important player, but now you kind of become one of the star players in the team. How is it for you to carry this title? <laughs> I don't see myself like a star player or something. I I do everything for the team. Um, we are here, 16 players. We are very good friends, and we are most of us are together since we are young and uh, we just love to play together and um, that's why I do here and that's why I love to be with the national team So when you wake up tomorrow morning now and you're going to try and think of some of the positives to pick you up for the next few games what, what will the positives be from this game that you look back and say okay we did that right I think um, yeah, we managed some situations we, we were surprised but um, could manage to, to score also and um, that's, that's for sure positive um, I think also that we we have a good team and we we still can reach the the main round. But uh, of course, it's it's very very hard now. Um, but we we have to believe in ourselves and keep going. What what else can we do? Exactly. Thank, well, you. Thank you. Bye-bye. So I think a very physical game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a physical game, but uh, finally we managed to to win. It was quite important uh, victory for us. Uh, from the beginning, uh, we didn't play uh, really well and in our style. But uh, after second, after first half, after first uh, part of the game, we could uh, change. We could take uh, some goals of advantage, and I think it gives us a little bit of fresh air to the team and. Uh, uh, we could handle this advantage until the end of the, the match. So you said that you, you didn't get into your style. What is your style exactly? <laughs> Nobody knows. Even us, I think, no. I think we are quite young, a national team, uh, with the new coach, and uh, we are still looking for our style. But I think we, in, the, in the field we are a really crazy team, and uh, we have some mix of experience and uh, really young players. And uh, I hope in this tournament we will explode like a team and uh, finally we can find uh, our style of the, of the game. You've been playing for the national team for quite a while now as well, so you must... Does this feel like a kind of a new start? Because there was a few years there where, where it felt like the Polish national team weren't doing a whole yeah. lot and now all of a sudden it really feels like there's a bit of something behind it. Yeah, it is, uh, it is like a new era, let's say, for me. And uh, for some of uh, my friends that uh, they were with me like 10 years ago in the national team of Poland, I still remember when I was starting like uh, like the same young guys in the team uh, when I was playing my first game, my first uh, championship in uh, Serbia. 
It wasn't the same. Uh, of course, atmosphere in the hall was uh, hot, uh, like here. But the situation uh, outside with the with the contact and with the virus was not the same. Of course, the people couldn't live so good with the with the teams. Uh, but now I think we feel much more support of the of the our fans that uh, yeah, every time I have to say that they are really important for us and they give us uh, the power to to play better and better and uh, we are doing this uh, for them also so you wake up tomorrow morning now what are your lessons from this game I think the Austrian attack performed pretty well at some point is that one something you're going to look at yeah we had the plan and I think we realize uh, uh, our plan in 50%. The, the first point was to stop uh, this guy who is staying just on, the, on my left. And uh, I think from the beginning we did uh, quite good because we were playing with the five guys behind and one uh, in front of uh, Nikola Bilic. Uh, we knew that he's really important uh, guy for the Austrian team. Yeah, for, the, for tomorrow morning I would like to wake up and uh, uh, see that the whole of my team uh, we are negative let's say from the test of the covid and we can continue our work together two battles on the co- on the course of this yeah that's the, the second one against covid that's not not fair battle but uh, yeah, it is how it is uh, and we have to handle it and we have to continue thanks very much thanks. best of luck so Kamil Shipshak fighting the battle on the court against the teams and fighting the battle off the court against COVID. That's the kind of spirit we want to hear from the players uh, in what is naturally still a very difficult situation for them and is certain to be a topic as this tournament goes on. There were the games that we, we saw tonight, tonight being Friday night, but the vast majority of the matches happened on Thursday, we spoke a little bit about Hungary and the Netherlands, or a lot about the Netherlands with uh, Stein. What other games did you guys watch that uh, stood out for you? I think a big one was uh, the one you were in the commentary box for. Uh, it was Croatia France. I think that was a really, really enjoyable game. Um, it did have that kind of classic shine to it. It seemed like that to me anyway. When it wasn't in the arena like you were, but it just had it just had that feeling to it, even though. I think the Croatian side, they seemed to shoot themselves in the foot a few times during the whole game. I don't know what if you thought the same, Chris, but there were certain moments when I think their their game management went a little bit out the window. And that crazy situation where they had three players on the court and it looked like it was going to go down to two players. It was like, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I mean, that was, yeah. as you said, I think that was a good, good referee in hindsight because that would have looked optically would have looked... A screenshot of that would just not look good. Uh, that was like, uh, for those of you who didn't see the game, like the crazy thing about it was Croatia did so well to come back within two goals. So it was 21-19. And then two two-minute suspensions, one of them for the, the bench. And then 12 seconds later, a direct red card for David Mandic. And then right after that, they give away a penalty for, yes, what in, in its own would probably have been a two-minute suspension as well. But I think the referees looked at each other. They're like, no, let's just give the penalty here or we might get hit by some beer. Uh, So I think they saved themselves. Didn't save themselves from abuse online. But in that situation, they managed it very well. And yeah, I mean, despite everything coming from the Croatian 
media and fans that you know there was i don't think there's anything really to to complain about they were the masters of their own downfall in that scenario and uh, it really did start at the start of the game where yeah i mean we talked a lot about even martinovic and halil yaganyac and alex you mentioned that yaganyac is like a bull in a china shop and he was exactly that at the start of the game he just tried to bury his way through bully his way through that french defense over and over again and uh, it just wasn't happening i mean van saint gerard was brilliant in goal he made some amazing saves both keepers did um ivan pesic as well that's definitely what got me most pumped uh, in that game but one player who i wasn't expecting a lot of beforehand was carl conan the 26 year old who plays for x on Provence in in France. He was playing in the center of defense. Just his fourth game for France, I think it was, and he slotted in there brilliantly. He was everywhere. He had a, a kind of a clean sheet, as Kevin Domas said to me afterwards, because he, he rarely made a, a bad foul, but he was everywhere, getting stuck in all the time. And Kevin spoke to him after the game, and uh, he said he, he was almost getting sick before the match because... He, there was all these defensive systems that were crammed into his brain for the last three weeks, having just joined the national team, and he couldn't remember all of any of them. And Valentin Porte just said to him, don't think about anything, just play handball. And uh, he had a fantastic game. Really interesting uh, guy and a story. So I think that's somebody we might have to get on the podcast soon. Uh, we can talk more about that when we, we talk to Carl at some point. But uh, yeah, uh, nice to see him and, and this French team. With um, yeah, a few younger players making the breakthrough, and it uh, looks like they're going to top this group. When you were talking there about a player who you didn't expect to perform so well, you really led me down the garden path. I thought you were going to be talking about Tin Lucin from from Croatia, yeah. who I think for me I didn't expect to see the point. He came on and he, I think he really kind of transformed the 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 Croatian tack. And there was one goal. He, I don't know if you remember it. He was kind of. It was like he was going. I can't even. Oh, I can't even explain this on a podcast. Jesus. <laughs> it was this this, this uh, exquisite, exquisite pass to the line where he was going the complete almost opposite direction, reached right around the defender and laid yeah. into the line. And, and you see that pass a lot, though. But the way it was just such an extreme version of that. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed when he came on, and he he was kind of an unexpected surprise. Just one more fact on Carl Conan: he had eleven uh, legal fouls in that game, which is. An incredible performance. He kept a clean sheet in terms of discipline and really like stepped up in that center of defense. A center of defense that is missing, you know, key players like Luka Karabatic. So very needed for France. But I don't think France were too impressive, to be honest. No, not an attack. Not anyway. impressive in attack. They, I think, they were lucky because they faced a Croatian team without Sindric and Duvniak, who will more than likely um, appear in the rest of the tournament for Croatia. So hopefully turn around um, Croatia's performance as the tournament goes on. So I'm not too impressed by France, but of course they've had their slightly laboured build up. So there's more to come from them. And I think they've been written off by a lot of people, probably including us. Um, I think none of us have them in, in a medal um position but this is still the olympic champions this is still a team that can turn it on at any time so um 
a lot more to come from France. We were too busy getting hyped on Hungary. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Sipping uh, that Hungry Kool-Aid. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, you say Croatia developing as the tournament goes on, but now already on Saturday night, they, they, have, to beat, uh, they have to beat Serbia in what is going to be an incredible atmosphere. I can guarantee that. I'm just going to say I'm glad I'm on the opposite side to the majority of the fans uh, for this particular game and yeah that'll be that'll be amazing but if serbia win it then croatia are going home early which uh, would be a remarkable thing the serbian team doing very well uh dominating their match uh, lazar kukic who had a brilliant match as uh, we tweeted about six goals and four assists in the first half alone and milan bomashtar in goal as well, who I thought would be the third choice. Yeah, <laughs> had a fantastic game and uh, well done to him and our pal Tony Girona coaching them. Big game for them on Saturday night. We've been recording a long time already. We're just about to pass, so we have passed midnight on now Saturday morning. So we can wrap it up, maybe looking ahead to uh, another big game or two from the from Saturday. I think Spain, Sweden is going to be a big one as well. Anyone else that you're looking out for on Saturday or Sunday? Uh, there's, I think there's Norway, Russia. Uh, Russia had a pretty great performance for one half and a terrible performance for the second against Lithuania. But I think that will be a good test for this Norwegian team to see if they are legit in this tournament. But I think we're all looking forward to Croatia, Serbia. Yeah, there's one game I'm really looking forward to, and that's. Uh... Slovenia, Denmark, because I made a very, very bold prediction in our prediction game back on the live we did. I predicted that Slovenia would pull off a draw against uh, Denmark, so much so that I sillyly sillily enough, is that a word? Sillily enough? Put my bonus ball onto the draw. And then in hindsight, I was like, never, first of all, pick draws because statistically they're probably not going to happen as much often as, as picking a win or a loss. And then definitely don't put your bonus ball on a draw. So I'm here I have my fingers crossed. I think I moved up the we've this uh, league on the on, on the home of handball app and I made amazing progress today. I moved up from thirty first. I was the only people below me were three people on zero points. But I moved up to twenty ninth. <laughs> You know, so now I have I have two people below me, and Chris, you went way down the list. May I, I say? know so you went down I from what you fourth to a fourteenth or something like that. You dropped right exactly. down. Yeah, I was I was looking good, and then uh, I didn't notice it until Merle Shach wrote to me on Instagram saying, "It's a pleasure to share fourteenth place with you." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> and that's that's what it's like. You said, Brian, don't predict draws. I predicted a draw between Austria and Poland. Uh, also yeah. believed in Portugal. So, yeah, that's me in trouble there. And Alex, you've moved up to ninth place. Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty happy with my positioning so far. We still haven't figured out our forfeit for who finishes last out of the three of us mm. in this championship. Uh, I don't even... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Do we <laughs> the big difference is, and people who don't follow us on Twitter, we saw that a few years ago, was it 2016, the Women's Euro, Brian jumped into the... Uh, the cold Swedish Lake Delhuen on uh, uh, December morning. But the thing is now in the intervening years, all three of us really like jumping into cold water as like an activity. So I'm not sure that's much of a forfeit. Um, no. Maybe we have to go into a, a Budapest steam bath or something 
Uh, in COVID times, that's asking for danger. <laughs> that sounds like a reward, Chris. <laughs> How about the, so uh, the winner would get pool in the in the Budapest bats? They do have a, I think, six degree plunge pool. Let's say a minute in the plunge pool for the loser. What I what I love about all this, uh, Chris, is that you always bring up me jumping into a lake, but you don't forget that a euro later I shaved one of my legs. I got sorry, not shaved, I waxed one of my legs a euro later, and oh everyone seems God. to forget about that. Thank God. Yeah, well, it that's because we don't. We know. We well, we're gonna have to find the video for that now. On that note, we'll leave it there. We'll be back on Monday morning with another podcast. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.